0: Thank you so much for being here today. It's going to be a wonderful day in the house of the Lord. And I'm looking forward to studying God's Word today. Is anybody ready to study God's Word today? All right. Thank you so much for being here. You can find a seat. We are going to be in the book of 1 Peter. And last week, we started a brand new series that we are calling Stand Firm. Stand Firm. And uh, in this day and age, so many followers of Jesus are falling away or drifting or falling into temptation or falling into sin. And what we need more than ever is the church to stand firm and to stand strong in what we believe And uh, we started 2020 with a lot of plans, and the world had a lot of plans, and I said in the first service that I think it was Mike Tyson who said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And uh, 2020 started, and we got punched in the face as a world, and uh, now is our opportunity as the church and as followers of Jesus Christ to not fall away and not to pout and uh, and not to uh, take a step back, but to stand firm in what we believe and be faithful uh, to what God has called us to be faithful to. And so that's what this series is all about in 1 Peter, 1 Peter, standing firm. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want to bring a message that I'm calling today, Just Passing Through. Are you ready today? Is anybody else ready today? All right. Very good. Just got to make sure you're awake. We got a beautiful building, but it's not for sleeping. Got some great chairs, but we've got to lean in today. And uh, I'm looking forward to preaching 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. The Bible says this, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace of God. That is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you. Everybody say called you. As he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who, without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. He says, just pass the time, the time of your traveling here with fear. Let's have a word of prayer together. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for the fantastic first service that we already had. God, thank you for the great work that you're doing in our church, in our midst. God, thank you for uh, the many people who have prayed to accept Christ uh, in this season. And uh, God, I pray that we can have a holy and serious uh, focus as we look to your word today. God, I know that uh, there are people in this room that come from all different backgrounds, some people who have grown up in church their whole lives, some people that are brand new to church and God, I pray that all of us today would be able to recognize what it is you would want us to hear, what it is you would want us to apply to our lives. God, we believe as we gather together and as we look to your word that we're not just here going through the motions or listening to what any individual has to say. We're listening and leaning into your word, your perfect word. And so, God, I pray that as we look to your word today that we can uh, be changed and uh, we can be transformed, and we can be encouraged together as well. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Yes. How many of you get stressed when you travel? Can I see your hands? You get stressed when you travel. How many of you don't? get stressed, but you love to travel. Anybody like that? And uh, my father-in-law, he travels a lot for his business, and uh, he gets stressed when he travels. And uh, sometimes we like to joke with him, we'll call him Travel Jeff, uh, because whenever he gets into that mode, uh, he's just kind of intense, and, and uh, he's not in, in a, a laughing mood, and he just wants to get to where he's going. And I can kind of relate to that. And uh, whenever I travel with my kids and with my family, I want to make sure that we're on time, and, and uh, so it's not the time for bathroom breaks and not the time to get snacks. We gotta make it to our gate to make sure we're on time, and and uh, and then we'll have time for those other things. But you know, traveling can be stressful, but really it depends on sometimes who you travel with. Right. If you travel with uh, someone that uh, really knows the ropes, they know what they're doing, it can make traveling a little bit easier. And about a year ago, I was traveling with my dad to Washington, D.C., and we were going to the airport, and I was a little bit nervous because I thought we were going to be late. And uh, uh, my dad was calm. He was like, no problem. He travels a lot. He was not worried or stressed at all, and, and uh, he began to tell me how he has TSA clear, TSA pre-check and uh, Delta platinum, like all of these uh, elite statuses because he travels so much. He's like, I'm not, I'm not worried at all. And so we got there and because I was with him, I was able to skip the lines. And when you have TSA pre-check and clear, you don't have to take your shoes off at the airport. It's just, uh, it's just a smooth uh, journey into the airport. He even took me into the Delta Sky Lounge. And if you've never been to the Delta Sky Lounge you are missing out. It is amazing in there. There's free coffee and food and, and the most comfortable chairs and it makes the traveling experience so much more enjoyable and that uh, you know the truth is we know that as we study scripture we are reminded time and time again that the Christian life is transient by nature. That the tr- Christian life is really a journey, and uh, the Bible says that we are traveling. The Bible says that we are uh, sojourning, that we are uh, voyagers. In fact, uh, how many of you are here at the beginning of the year for Rock Hill Conference? Anybody like anybody here for that? And uh, we talked about how we are strangers and pilgrims. We are just passing through. And this is a theme that Peter is going to reiterate uh, throughout the, the, the letter of First Peter. And we see it in chapter 1 for the first time in verse number 17. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to uh, look at verse number 17. It says this, and if he call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. The word sojourning carries the connotation of a temporary resident a temporary resident. And uh, we uh, might know here in America what a resident alien is. Sometimes we use that term to refer to someone who is living in one place, but he really belongs to another place, a resident alien. And that is a perfect and adequate uh, description for a follower of Jesus. We are resident aliens because yes, we're living here on earth, but the Bible says in Philippians 320 that our citizenship is in heaven. And so we are living here on earth, but our home is in heaven. Hey, we don't belong here. This life is just temporary. This life is just transient. Hey, we are just passing through. And this is something that we need to understand and recognize because so many people carry so much stress and there's so much struggle because we haven't yet learned to think like a traveler. And so Peter is going to come along and he's going to tell us and remind us that we are, we are sojourning. We are voyaging. We are on this pilgrimage and this journey towards our homeland, which is in heaven. Uh, Jeremy Taylor, he is a theologian from the 1600s, went to Cambridge University. He said this, God hath given to man a short time here upon earth, and yet upon this short time, eternity depends. And so we have this little bit of time that God has given us. Life is a vapor, James says, but it's upon this little time that eternity depends. What we do here matters for all of eternity. And so Peter's going to remind us about this, that our home is in heaven, which, by the way, uh, Peter's writing to a group of Christians who are hurting, who are going through a hard time, and talk about an encouragement. Peter's saying, hey, just remember that no matter how bad life gets and no matter how bumpy the journey might be, your destination is secured and your reservation is in heaven and Jesus is your savior and Jesus is is the anchor for our soul and so he's saying hey hey keep your eyes fixed on your future home in heaven we're just passing through uh, Peter is writing to hurting uh, Christians that are scattered throughout Asia Minor if you read Pe- first Peter 1 verse 1 it tells us the five different regions uh, in which Peter was writing to the scattered church within five years of writing this letter Peter would be killed he would be crucified upside down because he he, he begged his uh, tormentors and persecutors that he wouldn't he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified and so he wanted to be crucified upside down and so Peter was a man who knew all about pain and suffering and what it means to stand firm. And he's writing this letter to Christians that are hurting, and he's giving them hope. And really, that's what we talked about last week. And the first 13 verses, the first 12 verses, he's giving believers hope. Hey, hey, we have a lively hope. Why do we have the lively hope? Because Jesus is alive. Because of the resurrection, we have a lively hope. And now he's going to transition from uh, starting at verse number 13 to focus in on the individual And he's going to focus in on uh, walking in holiness and making this journey, this this sojourning here in this life. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to give us uh, some things to jot down. If you want to take notes, five ways that we can navigate this journey called life. Are you ready today? Uh, Five ways that we can navigate this journey called life. Number one, if we're going to make this uh, journey successfully, we have to stay mentally alert. Stay mentally alert. Now... Uh, one of the most common tactics of the devil is to uh, try to wear us down mentally. So often the battle is not out there. The battle is in here. And uh, I was reading recently about uh, how lawyers will use different tactics in a court of law. Different attorneys will use different attack, uh, tactics to uh, try to sway and convince the jury. And uh, sometimes they'll use theatrics. Sometimes they'll do something really dramatic and bring in a witness and they'll play a video and something to kind of get everybody's attention and something theatrical. But the attorney said that sometimes the most effective strategy is not theatrics, but actually tedium to, to read long, boring court documents and to uh, just go over facts and details and details and details for the purpose of wearing the jury out. And so they said, sometimes the most successful way that we can convince a jury of something is not by doing something theatrical, but actually through the tedium. And I thought about that and I thought the devil works the exact same way. Sometimes it's not the big theatrical moments that will trip us up. Sometimes it's just the tedium. It's the day-to-day-to-day where the devil just wants to attack our mind and attack our mind and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on social media, and it begins to wear us down. And so Peter comes along, and he says, hey, we have to stay mentally alert. We have to guard our minds. Now, notice how he says it in verse 13. He he gives us some specifics in verse 13. He says this, "Uh, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You have a Bible this morning. Can you guys see this, what we're looking at? Verse number 13. If you don't have a Bible, maybe share with somebody with you. We're going to be looking to these verses often, so I want you to be able to to, to see these verses. Verse 13, he says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Right. It's kind of an odd phrase. Gird up the gird up the gird up your loins. What does that mean? You know, Uh, but we have to remember that this was written to a first century audience and they did not dress how we dress. Right. Uh, They wouldn't wear uh, the men wouldn't wear jeans. They wouldn't wear skinny jeans or or dad jeans or parachute pants or um, they wouldn't wear those things. Right. They wouldn't wear uh, jorts. Does anybody have a pair of jorts in here? All right. Only Daniel. And he's proud of it. And uh, that is something quite embarrassing to wear to wear jorts. Right. And uh, and uh, that is something that they didn't wear. What they would wear in the first century is they would wear tunics. Right. We've seen pictures. We can kind of imagine it. They would wear these long. Flowing garments, these robes, these tunics, and so uh, that was uh, not good for when you wanted to move quickly. When you wanted to be mobilized, you would have to gird up the loins. What that meant was you would grab all the excess, you would tie it together so that your knees would be free, so that you could actually run and high step it to wherever you needed to go. Uh, that was the process of of girding your loins. Okay, so that you could just kind of run and uh, be mobile. But here's the idea to gird your loins. The idea is preparation. If you're going to go somewhere, if you're going to travel somewhere, you can't have anything tripping you up. You can't have anything standing in the way. You can't have anything dangling down, any excess. You have to pull that up so that you can move uh, where you want it to go. And what Peter is saying is stay mentally alert by girding up the loins of your mind, preparing your mind and training your mind. Hey, don't let anything in your mind distract you or deter you from the will of God for your life. Hey, protect what's going on in your mind. Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so Peter says, hey, if we're going to stand firm, if we're going to recognize that life we're just passing through, we have to stay mentally alert. And so he says, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, we know that this is a very real battle and struggle in our world today. We know that uh, people struggle with this on a daily basis. I mean, you can read the statistics. One in every five, uh, one in every five American adults have a diagnosable mental health condition. 3.3 uh, 3 million suffer with bipolar disorder. 17.3 uh, million American adults suffer with depression. 12 million suffer from PTSD. 9.8 million have suicidal thoughts. And we've seen uh, that even in 2020, these numbers are not decreasing. These numbers are on the rise. And I was looking at some of the CDC numbers recently, just kind of uh, perusing out of curiosity, uh, just kind of some of the uh, COVID numbers and different things. And one of the main things on the CDC website, there's a tab that says, be kind to your mind. And then there's some tips on how to kind of uh, alleviate the stress of thinking about uh, anxiety. Why? Because so many people are consumed with fear in this year. So many people are are scared of what's going to happen. And so as a result of that, there's an attack on the mind. And so even the CDC and even uh, government officials are like, "Man, people are really stressed out about this. What are we going to do?" And I'm here today to tell somebody that the Bible tells us what to do. I'm here to tell somebody today that the word of God can give us a peace and a peace that passes all understanding that transcends human thinking. So, hey, we we don't have to live in fear. Why? We can live in hope because Jesus is alive. Our future is secure so we can stand firm. We have to stay mentally alert. Now, now, what does he say? He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Hey, don't let anything distract you. By the way, if you're not going to let anything distract your mind, that might mean you have to change up your playlist on the way to work on Monday morning. If you're going to make sure nothing distracts you and you're going to gird up the loins of your mind, you might have to change up your Netflix queue that you watch On a weekly basis, you might have to change up the amount of news content that you consume on social media. Hey, all of these things are warring at our mind. We have to gird up the loins of our mind. We have to stay mentally alert. We have to develop the mind of Christ. Now, uh, that involves guarding what we uh, consume, but uh, also, he says at the end of verse number 13, and hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is he talking about? He's saying, hey, make sure that your hope is fixated on the return, on the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, make sure that you realize that Jesus is coming back, and this is something that we can encourage one another with as, as, as believers. That's what The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that we we don't have to sorrow as those without hope, but we can comfort one another with these words. What are those words? Jesus is coming back to return for us to call his children home, and we ought to be living with anticipation and expectation for that day. But so often we don't think about that. Yeah, that might happen. We'll see. I got things to do right now. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that ought to be something that we are living with expectation and anticipation for. Uh, I was reading this week that uh, there's a telescope, uh, a radio telescope in California, and it's called, it's called the Allen Telescope Array. And uh, it's a powerful telescope designed to find unique things in space. But some of the scientists that work at this location, uh, they keep in their refrigerators at all times a couple of bottles of champagne. And the reason they keep those bottles of champagne is they are just uh, keeping those Uh, in case they find signs of extraterrestrial life so that they can celebrate uh, finding any uh, uh, aliens out in space. And as soon as they find that, they're going to be celebrating. They are anticipating and expecting to find something. They they have an expectation that they will see something. I wonder what would happen if the church would start living with that kind of expectation, with that kind of anticipation that says, you know what? Yeah, the world is tough and yeah, there's a lot of questions that I might not know the answers to, but my hope is fixed on Jesus Christ and he is coming again, and he will return to call me home, and we will meet him in the air one day. We ought to live with that kind of expectation. That ought to be what's in our minds. In fact, uh, Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, and he said this in Second Timothy 4. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing." I love that verse because Paul told Timothy, hey, there is a crown awaiting those that love his return. Did you know that you can get a specific crown in heaven one day to cast back at Jesus' feet just for living in anticipation of his return? That is a reward awaiting for you if you anticipate his coming. We had to live with that kind of expectation. That ought to consume our minds. That ought to be what is in our minds. Because, by the way, whatever consumes your mind controls your life. So, Peter says, Hey, gird up the loins of your mind. Stay mentally alert. This leads us to our second thought today, number two. We have to align our conduct with our calling. Align our conduct with our calling. And uh, we have a calling from the Lord. It says this in verse 14 As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. What is he saying? He's saying, hey, as obedient children, as followers of Jesus, we're not to go back to what our life was like before Christ and and back when we were in ignorance, when we didn't know what the Bible said and we didn't know um, uh, which way we were supposed to go and how we were supposed to live. Peter says, now that you know, don't go back to that. Uh, Don't backslide into that. And he's going to transition here and he's going to talk about holiness and how we should live and how we should walk in holiness. And it's interesting because the first part of chapter one is all about hope. The second part of chapter one is all about holiness. Why? Because there's, always a correlation between our hope and our holiness. The Bible puts it this way in 1 John 3.3 And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. And so when we're walking with hope, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will then in turn want to, out of, out of, a, out of a motivation of love, walk in holiness for the Lord. Now, notice how uh, Peter puts it in verse 15. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen. Verse 15 But as he which hath called you And I love that. And if you have a habit of underlining in your Bible or marking in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that. He called you. He called you. You have a calling on your life. So often when we're going through a season of hurt, uh, what we're looking for is some sort of uh, pleasure to mask the pain. But what we need to find is a purpose to make sense of our pain. What well, what we need to do is tap in and to remember that we have a calling and a holy calling on our lives, that we have a purpose here and now that God has called us to. And so often what we want is just to be coddled when we're hurting, and we want a coddling. But what we need is a calling. What we need to is tap back into the Word of God and say, you know what? God does have a purpose for my life, and God does have a purpose in my pain. I do have a holy calling on my life, and that calling should mobilize me to action to do something even when I'm hurting. And so Peter reminds the church, hey, you have a calling. You're not here by accident. This isn't just happenstance. No, you have a calling on your life. He says in verse 15, but he which hath called you is holy. He's holy. Now, let's pause right there for a second and just talk about this, that our God is a holy God. A lot of times we don't want to pause and and talk about God's holiness because it might make us uncomfortable. Or because we're not really sure how to ascertain it, ascertain it. But I want to remind us today that our God is a holy God. Now, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he talks about God's holiness in Isaiah chapter 6, verse number 3. He says, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's the only attribute of God in scripture that is ever elevated to the third degree. That is not just Holy. And our God is not just holy, holy. Our God is holy, holy, holy. <laughs> we worship a holy God. Now, he goes on, he says, he says in verse number 15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written, back in the book of Leviticus chapter number 11, it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. See, every attribute of God demands a response. Did you know that? Sometimes we can list off the attributes of God. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's immutable, he's all-powerful. You know, we can list off these things, but every attribute of God demands a response amongst his children. And so because God is holy, because God is perfect and without sin and without error, because Jesus Christ is sinless and impeccable and without error, uh, he is holy, and so we as followers of Jesus ought to reflect his holiness. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, that's impossible. (laughs) If you're like me, you're thinking, how... How, do, how does that happen? How, how can we be holy? It seems like an impossible command. He says, because God is holy, you be holy too. How can we do that? Well, we have to understand there's, there, there's different ways to uh, describe holiness. We have to understand and recognize that positionally, we are holy. You are positionally holy if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Why? Because the moment of salvation, something happened. You were justified. That, that word justified means you were declared righteous in the sight of a holy God. See, our righteousness, the Bible says in Isaiah, is just filthy rags. (laughs) We can try to be good, but we're always going to fall short of God's glory. Are, Are you tracking with me this morning? Like, we can never attain perfection. We all sin. We all fall short of God's perfect standard. But when we accept and receive Christ, what happens is Christ's righteousness was imputed. It was placed on our account. So God, as a holy judge, can look at us, and he can declare us righteous. He can declare us holy because he sees Christ in us. So positionally, we are holy. Hey, that's good news, that because of what Jesus Christ did for us, we have the righteousness of God has been placed on our account. We sang about that this morning in the first song uh, that, that we sang. I am the righteousness of God. How can we say that? Because at the moment of salvation, that's what was placed on us. And so here's good news. You are holy positionally. But then there is a practical side to holiness. So positionally, we are holy, but practically, we are to become like Christ. We call this sanctification, to be set apart. By the way, that's what holy means. It means to be set apart. It means to be distinct. And so here's what Peter is saying to the church, what he's saying to the Christians that are hurting. He's saying, remember, God is holy. And don't go back to your former lifestyle when you could just live it up and do whatever you wanted in your ignorance. Make sure that because of God's grace and because of God's love in your life, that is motivating you to walk and to become more like Christ, not less like Christ. Walk in holiness. Um, I read this week there was, a, uh, there was a zoo in Britain, this wildlife park, that had uh, some parrots that they had to, uh, at five African gray parrots that they had to ban from their zoo. And the reason they had to ban them from their zoo is they kept on cursing. And uh, uh, the person that was kind of taking care of the birds, he was interviewing the person. He said, he said, you know, it's not uncommon for a parrot every once in a while to say a curse word. And sometimes people will chuckle. But he said, we got these five birds together. And they just started wearing off on one of each other. And uh, they just started cussing. And every time someone walked by, they would just cuss out the people that were walking by. And uh, so these parrots in this zoo, they were like, man, this is a problem. So they just had to ban them from the zoo. They got kicked out of their own habitat. But, you know, the truth is nearness is likeness. And the call as a follower of Jesus to holiness is to be distinct. It is to be different. Romans 12.1 says don't, don't, don't pattern yourself. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Okay, now that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy God's creation and we can't uh, enjoy what God has entrusted to us. The Bible says that he's given us all things richly to enjoy. But what he says is don't pattern your lifestyle, your uh, philosophy, your values after the worldly philosophy and values. And what we've seen is a dangerous drift with the church where the church is now valuing what the world values and not valuing what the word of God values. And so we have to make sure that our philosophies, the way that we think and the things that we really care about, are not the things that are worldly, but that the things that are eternal and scriptural. That's what it means to be set apart, to align our calling with our conduct. Are you tracking with me this morning? Align your conduct with your calling. Andrew Murray, he was talking about the holiness of God, and he said this, there is not a word so exclusively scriptural, so distinctly divine as the word holy in its revelation and its meaning as a consequence of this, this, its divine origin. It is a word of inexhaustible significance. He says, hey, we can't miss how important the holiness of God is. C.S. Lewis, he said this, we are in a time in history when minimum decency Passes for heroic virtue and utter corruption for forgivable imperfection. Doesn't that that adequately describe the day in which we're living? (laughs) That minimum decency, just the bare minimum is now heroic virtue and absolute utter corruption and filth. I mean, just think about the top songs on the playlist today on the Billboard 100. Just think about those lyrics for a second. And he says, the utter corruption for forgivable imperfection. No, it's not that big of a deal. Hey, the church is called to be a pure bride of Christ. The church is called to be holy. And it's not out of guilt, like, oh, I have to do this. No, because of what Jesus did for us, we get to walk in holiness and we get to pursue him and become more like Christ. We have to align our calling with our conduct. Uh, This leads us to our third thought today, number three. We have to make this journey with reverence. Are you with me today? Make this journey with reverence. Notice what it says in verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. And so we see here that God is referred to as Father, but God is also referred to as Judge. So which is he? Is he Father or is he Judge? The answer is yes. He's both. He is God the Father and God the Judge. And if we're not careful, what we will do is compartmentalize uh, the characteristics of God and only focus on the ones that we want to focus on. We love to talk about God as a loving Father, and we should. But we can't forget that God is holy and He is a Judge. And the Bible says in Romans 14 that we will all stand before God and give an account one day before the Judge. Jesus said every idle word that we speak we will give an account for. Now, now, this day at the judgment seat of Christ will ultimately be a day of celebration, and we will be rewarded for uh, our service uh, to the king of kings. But he says, hey, the father and the judge. But then he says this at the end of verse number 17. Pass the time of your sojourning. Again, he reminds us that life is short, life is, is brief. We're just passing through here in fear. Now, is that not odd at all? Because he's been telling us throughout this chapter to have hope. Hope. We can have hope. We don't have to live in fear. We can have hope. Hope. But then in verse 17, he says, but we have to pass the time as we're just passing through in fear. And so why does he say that? Why does he say, hey, we can have hope. But then also he says, make sure that you're passing the time uh, in fear. Well, he's talking about here a reverential fear. He's not talking about being scared. He's talking about having a holy reverence and the fear of God put in us. See, the Bible tells us that God is described as a consuming fire, that our God is a consuming fire. And if you've ever thought about a fire, a fire is both inviting and yet terrifying at the same time, right? Like if you're by a fire, uh, that can provide warmth and it can provide light. And so that's inviting. You want to get close to the fire, right? It's inviting. But a fire out of control we've seen can do great damage and it can be terrifying, Right? And our God is a consuming fire. And so and so God is both inviting and terrifying because he is a righteous judge. And we ought to have a holy fear and a holy reverence for our God. Yes, we can approach God boldly, but that does not mean we approach God brazenly. Yes, we can approach God uh, freely, but we can't approach him flippantly. He, he's a holy God. And we have to pass the time here in our sojourning in fear and holy reverence for God. And so this is what uh, Peter is saying. He's saying, hey, make this journey with reverence and align your conduct with your calling. Here's number four. Number four is this. Recognize your value. Recognize your value. Can I just pause for a second and say that you are valuable in the eyes of God. (laughs) I was reading again this week where uh, this uh, Israeli uh, jewelry maker was uh, tasked with making a mask for the coronavirus for a wealthy Chinese businessman that's living in America, and he made the world's most expensive mask. I think we have a picture of it. It's worth $1.5 million, uh, just all the the diamonds on this mask. How many of you are like, yeah, I could rock that mask. I, I could wear that. All right. And it's extremely valuable. So often our sense of value is skewed in the eyes of the world, and we forget how valuable we are in the eyes of God. And Peter is going to remind us again of our redemption and just how valuable we are in the sight of God. And there's great encouragement in these verses that we're about to read. Notice what it says in verse number 18. For as much as you know that these were not... uh, For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed, I want to encourage you to underline that word redeemed, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition from your fathers. He's talking here about redemption. Everybody say redemption. redemption. Now to us, redemption is a beautiful theological term. The word redemption means to be bought back, to be purchased back. But to the first century reader, there would have been very practical implications for redemption. Redemption was a precious word in the first century. And the reason redemption was a precious word in the first century is because we have to remember that there were perhaps more than 60 million slaves in Rome during the first century. And the only way that a slave could be made free is if he... Paid the price of redemption, or if someone paid the redemption price, and if someone paid that price, he was considered to be redeemed. That's what redemption meant in the first, ent- first century. And so, what Peter is using is he's using that word to relate to us our salvation that Christ came and he redeemed us out of the curse of the law, that he redeemed us and purchased us back from the slave market of sin. He redeemed us. And what was the cost of that redemption? Like, what was the price tag on us? that he had to pay in order to set us free. Well, notice what Peter says now in verse 19. Here's the price tag. Are you ready? But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. See the price tag for our salvation and for our redemption was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son and he paid the price that we could not pay so that we could have a home in heaven in a real relationship with God. And so the next time the devil tries to get you to doubt your worth, the next time the devil tries to tell you that you are insignificant or that your life is meaningless, you just remind him of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled and that was shed on your behalf. That's how much Jesus loves you. And that's how much Jesus cares about you. Peter says, I know that you're hurting, but recognize your value. You were purchased. You were redeemed, bought back by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse number 20 who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but it was manifest it was made known the word became flesh it was manifest uh, it was manifest to us uh, in verse number lost my spot verse number 19 it was manifest verse 20 in these last times for you and what he was saying was foreordained he was saying that this this was the plan before the foundation of the world Sometimes we might think, oh, well, you know, God created the heavens and the world and the earth and then there was sin and then there were some mistakes. And so God was like, man, things are out of control. I'm going to send my son to fix things. No, this was the plan before the foundation of the world. This wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like, oh, things are bad. So now now I'm going to fix this. No, God is sovereign. He's in control. He is the alpha and the omega. He transcends time. He is always in control. He is always in the know. And so Peter says, hey, this was always the plan. Redemption was always the plan. Redemption was always the plan. Verse number 21. Who by him do you believe in God that raised him up from the dead? And Peter's constantly bringing us back to the resurrection and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So he says, recognize your value. This leads us to our fifth and final thought today. Do you have have the mental capacity for one more today? Do you have the energy for one more? Number five is this. Love while you can. Love while you can. We're just passing through. Life is short. We're sojourning here in this life. We're voyaging in this life. So what do we do? Love while you can. Now, notice what Peter is going to say here in verse number 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So he's talking about love, and really chapter one of first Peter could adequately be described in three words hope, holiness, and harmony because he closes out this chapter by talking about how we should love one another and walk in unity and in harmony. Now, we've seen in the world how much division and dissension there is, especially magnified in a season of, of, of a uh, political election. And in this season, we've seen our nation just so divided. We've seen the hatred and the vitriol and the violence that characterizes our society. But it ought not be that way within the church. He says there ought to be love and unity and harmony. I saw a video this week where there was a man on an airplane who uh, didn't want to wear a mask, and so someone else that was wearing a mask got so mad that he went and choked him out until he passed out. They had to ground the airplane. That's the world in which we live. But Peter says in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the hurting and confusion and anger and rage, we are to love while we still can. Love. Now, the love that he describes could be described in a threefold manner. He says, first, it should be a sincere love. He he says in verse number 22, this love unto unfeigned love. What does that mean? It's sincere. It's not not fake. It's not just putting on a show. Sometimes we can, with our words, act like everything is good. But in our heart, we have bitterness. We have resentment. We have hatred towards someone else. But on the outside, we're just like, everything's good. What's up? Yeah, fine, good psalm puts it this way in psalm fifty-five, twenty-one: 21 the words of his mouth were smoother than butter everybody say smoother than butter i like the way that sounds but war was in his heart his words were softer than oil yet were they drawn swords sometimes with our mouths we can act like everything is okay and We can even be kind to people on the outside, but on the inside, we're wishing harm on someone else, or we're we're jealous of someone else, or we're wishing that something evil would happen to someone else. Peter says, hey, this love that we're called to is an unfeigned love. It's a sincere love. But it's not only a sincere love, it's a striving love. Because he says in verse number 22 that it's a fervent love. The word fervent in the Greek literally means striving. It's actually an athletic term. It's when an athlete would train uh, to go to the Olympics and he would, he would be striving, he'd be working hard. That's how we are to love. It's to be a striving love where there's effort, where uh, we are intentional in the way in which we love people. And it's interesting because in 20, verse 22, if you notice, he tells us to love twice. Did you see that? He says, we've been called unto an unfeigned love. And then he goes on and he says, so then love. Why does he tell us to love twice? Well, it's interesting because the first word love is the Greek word phileo, Philadelphia. It's a, it's a brotherly love. It's an easy love. It's a camaraderie love. He says, that's how, that's how we should love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it should come easy. But the second word for love in verse number 22 is the Greek word agape. It's a sacrificial love. It's a Christ-like love. It's a deep-rooted love. And he's saying, yeah, phileo love, that comes easy. But agape love comes with great effort. Hey, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. We are to love God and love our neighbor, and it's not going to be easy. Yes, there's going to be those hard-to-love people that we are still called to love. There's going to be difficult people that we're still called to love. And we're called to an agape, a sacrificial real love. And sometimes we can think, that's, that's just not possible. If you knew my situation, you would, you would recognize and realize that I can never love that person after what they did to me. And I could never really uh, have that kind of deep-rooted love and that, that sincere love that God has called me to. I just don't think that that's possible. And I would say, the Bible tells us that it is possible, but not in our own strength. Because our flesh is going to fail. But the Bible says this beautiful verse in Romans 5, 5, the Apostle Paul says, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Hey, the love of God has been shed abroad and has been placed in our hearts. And so, hey, you say, I don't have enough love in my love tank to give to someone else. Well, guess what? God filled up your love tank. He put the love of his own son in your life so that the love of God could come to us. And then the love of God should go through us. God's given us the love that we need to love our neighbor. it's to promote peace and harmony. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. See, we love because he first loved us. We forgive because Christ forgave. We sacrifice because Christ sacrificed. We can be patient because Christ was patient and is patient with us. We can be kind because Christ is kind. We're to emulate his love. John 17, 21, Jesus is praying, and he says this, that they all may be one. Everybody say one. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. In this prayer in John 17, it's a beautiful prayer. Jesus is praying to God the Father, and you know who he's praying for? Us. He's praying for those that will come and accept Christ, and those that will be followers of of the one true God. He's praying for us, and here's his prayer request for us, that we will be one, that we would be united. Did you know that that was on Jesus' heart just hours before he would be crucified? What was he thinking about? He was thinking about you and me and the church that we would be one, that we would be united. Why was that so heavy on his mind and why was that his prayer request that day? Well, he goes on, he says, as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Why did Jesus pray that we would be one and that we would love and walk in unity? Because the world is watching, and when we love our neighbor, and when we love each other with a Christ-like love, that is going to make an impact on those that are viewing and those that are watching. They are going to observe and see there's something different about them. There's something different about those people that go to Rock Hill Church. They're showing kindness and love, and it's going to be used as a tool to bring more people to Christ going to be an apologetic to bring people to the gospel love while you can because notice what it says in verse 23 he closes this chapter out i'm going to close my message out by reading a couple of verses that peter closes with he says in verse 23 being born again aren't you thankful for our spiritual birth that we were born once into this world but when we accepted christ we were born again we were given new life we're welcomed into the family of god being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible, incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So he's saying, we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. By the word of God, the word of God will last forever. And then it says this in verse 24, for all flesh is as grass. All people, are just temporary, all people is as grass in the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. What is he saying? Love while you can, because life is short. Life is temporary. We're just here for a moment and then we fade away. And so what is he saying? Life is too short to hold on to bitterness. Life is too short to hold on to resentment. You never know when you're gonna have the last conversation you ever have with someone. Life is too short to walk in anger. Love while you can. He says in verse 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. And so this love that Peter calls us to, it's a sincere love, it's a sacrificial love, but ultimately it's a scriptural love because he says the word of God will last forever. It's what the Bible commands us to do. Love while you can encourage our church family as we as we uh, conclude and as we uh, approach the end of 2020 let's walk in the love that God has called us to walk in and let's seek to reflect the love of Christ as we're just passing through the ultimate love our ultimate example of love is found in Jesus we're so thankful for his love that he loved us and God loved us so much. The Bible says in John three sixteen, perhaps the most recognized verse in all the Bible for God. So loved everybody say so loved that he gave sacrificial his only begotten son, his one and only son. He loved us that much. Think about the person you love in life the most. And as hard as it, would be to imagine, imagine them being crucified on a cross. Because that's what God did with his only son. He says, that's how much I love you. There had to be a price that was paid and so I'm willing to send my son, my only son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did God send his only begotten son, the son that he loves so much? Why? For you and for me. So that we could put our faith in God's son, in the son of God, Jesus Christ, and have everlasting, eternal life. Hey, we have to recognize we're just passing through. Life is short. Just like the grass and the flower thereof that will fall away. But if we place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, we'll experience life and life everlasting and we'll have a home in heaven secured for us. And that's our hope, and that's our confidence. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.